You're listening to Always Open number 77. If you hear something you would like to see from this episode, visit roosterteeth.com. Okay, I'm trying to change it up. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Welcome to Always Open, everyone. On today's show, we're going to be talking about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, mental health, and other things of that nature. On today's show, you got me, Barbara Dunkelman, as well as... John. And Katie Morton. (laughs) Yay, she's back! And it's me. We're a friendly neighborhood mess. We're just messy today. You're a mess today? I'm a mess today. Actually, you know what, today I kind of got it together. You look good. You (laughs) seem like you have it together. Today. Yeah. It's a good declaration. Yeah. You know what, today I have it somewhat. You got your, you got your shirt. I got my shirt on. You got your lipstick. Uh huh. Unfortunately, (laughs) I got that on too. Texas literally chased me down like he does every (laughs) week. Your lipstick. <laughs> Your reaction was the most honest thing I've ever seen a human do in my entire like, life. I'm not excited. <laughs> Every week, Meryl tries to see how long she could go or like how close to the show we could get to. Before. Oh, is that what she was doing right before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She She's always drags me in there. Doesn't like lipstick, and Texas always finds her. Yeah, because he knows. He's always like, something's missing on that face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> what do you mean, Texas doesn't talk like that? I know, right? It's nothing like it. <laughs> it's like when you're trying to feed a kid something that they don't yeah. want. They're like, and you're like, it's peaches. Basically. And they're like, you lie. No. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome back, Katie. Yay, Thank you. It's Yay. been it's been a long time. Like it's a been year a while. Over and a half. Was yeah. last time his Blaine was on with Blaine. Yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. That was. And you uh, broke Blaine, and he hasn't recuperated since. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that was season one or season two. I think it was season two. Season two. Yes. Yeah. It was like so. one of the early episodes. Yeah, we were just talking about this, and I was like, I don't remember, but it was yeah. like a Jan, end of January, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something like that. Not this last January, but January before. Yep. Well, we're oh, so happy to have back. You. Yes. Everyone has been loving your appearance on the show and wanting you to come hey. back forever, and we finally made it happen. Yeah. John, Yay. you're here too. And I'm here too. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to lie. <laughs> we didn't have to try hard to get John. Well, <laughs> I, I sent him a message, and I said, "Will you do this?" And he said, "Yes." A cheers yeah. to Kurt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad, glad we're all back. Cheers. Mazel tov. So before we get into our questions, we did uh, open up a form for questions from people, um, the audience, to submit questions about mental health or anything of that nature. Um, and before we get to that, we're going to just start off with a little game. So this is called In One Word, and what we do is we give you guys each a prompt, gotcha. and you have to just answer it in one word, and then we could discuss and uh, basically talk about why we're all crazy. And judge each Perfect. other. Perfect. <laughs> This is right. a judging show, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty Kay. much. Some of them are a lot easier than you think they're going to be. Okay. Like this first one, which uh, mm-hmm. the prompt is texting or talking. You just want will you, what, what, how I respond? One word? Just in one word. Talking. You said talking, you said texting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cheat and I'll oh. say both. Ooh. I would say talking if I had to answer it that way. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are hard, though. Talk, yeah. But talking resolves things a lot better. Yes. Well, it, when for me, when it comes to like, if I'm trying to find out information and I'm texting someone, it's just so much easier for me to just dial the mm-hmm. number and like ask a question really quickly than like wait for a text message. So usually I get pretty impatient and I just call someone. Uh, Anybody have a friend who just like FaceTimes you? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. like so shocking. You guys have that? <laughs> yes. No, I don't. Oh. I do. But I see yeah. that. I do. Who, who does that to My you? My friend Allie. She'll just, out of the blue, like I'll just be hanging out like, Sans makeup in my pajamas on a Sunday, and she'll FaceTime me. She's like, like "What's up? I was wondering what you're up to." I'm gonna start doing that to you. That's who I am. I do that to my friends. You just want to see their faces. Yeah, obviously we're not friends. I feel like it's something you need to. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was about to comment on that, but I decided to breeze over it. I feel like that's something you got to prepare for, though. I think you need to know what you're gonna face. To, I don't know. Just like, I, I totally. I, I get. I get it. But I see the the craziest thing I see is I see people walking down the street who are having a FaceTime call. Yep. Without headphones in, and they're just having yeah. a FaceTime yep. call. Well, maybe their, their friend Allie just called them randomly. I guess. Wants the FaceTime. Exactly. Uh, I guess like Jonathan Van Ness of Queer Eye, he mm -hmm. does that to all of them. Yep. He just, he oh, just that, that's the only way he communicates is like yeah. the FaceTime. FaceTime. Yeah. I could, I mean, yeah. I, the only people I FaceTime are my family because they mm -hmm. live in Canada, mm -hmm. and uh, Trevor whenever we're not spending the night together, so we could just see each other. Yeah. yeah. Every night same you do that, like even if you're both in the same place. <laughs> like in the same house? Yeah, I think no, no, I'm no, Sean, like, one uh, side of the bed to the other side. <laughs> oh, like both in Austin? Like you're both in Austin. Yeah. No. So so oh, yeah. You're so I, I'm cute. so glad you said it because I wanted to say it, but I didn't know if it was okay if I said that because that is so gay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We love each other. It's so sweet. Uh, nickname your parents used to call you. Oh, Stomper. What? Stop. <laughs> yeah, it was quick. That was very quick. Also, they what? still call me that. That's really cute. What is that? Right. It's because I stomp when I was angry. Like, oh. I don't want to. That's yep. really cute. My, my parents call me Barbie. They still call me Barbie. See, it's, really? it, doesn't, it doesn't go away. When you go home, it's like you're yeah. instantly yeah. like 10 years old again. Exactly. Yeah. Although, yeah. it's funny when you say you used to get mad and stomp. When I used to get mad, I used to Scrunch do this out. all the time. And so my parents used to call me Triangle Nose. Because <laughs> it both. <laughs> doesn't roll off the tongue. You gotta well. face no, that way. You gotta it, face it, the camera. Yeah, so it. they can see it. There you go. It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, very uh, Olsen Twins Full House. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's totally Olsen Twins Full House. What was her? What was the character's wanna. name? Uh, Michelle. Uh, no. Michelle. Yes, I was Michelle. like Mary Kate Nash. I don't know. <laughs> you got it, dude. Yeah, totally. That's all I remember yeah, from that same. show. I didn't have a nickname. No, no, John Boy or or something like that. Yeah. Nothing like like just John Johnny. things. Yeah, just things wrapped around. Yeah, me. John, John. Yeah, ever call you Johnny or? Yeah, people call me that like a lot. Like every like everyone's got. They take the shortest name that's ever been made and they they extend it with other extra things. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes so, sense. But yeah, but then my parents didn't have like, um, or uh, they used to call me Mr. Let's Make a Deal. Because oh, I always. You bargained? Bargained. Mm. Let's go with that. Mr. Let's Make a Deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's very cute. Let's just let's add go that with lower that one. third to John I know. Right Mr. Now. Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. Uh, my whole family called me Nena. Which is just like little girl in Spanish. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Do they still call you that? Uh, my brothers do. Nana. My older brother Luis does. Because it sounds like they're saying Nana, kind of, mm -hmm. which like is a kind of opposite of N little girl. N E N A. Okay, so it is Nana. 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 Last Halloween costume. Oh. God. I literally just posted I was a picture say, of mine today. I was going to say, when was Halloween? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was Rosie the Riveter. I think that was my last one. Nice. We that can one do it. That's mm -hmm. a good costume. Yeah, and Sean was Mr. Clean, which was like, it was my, dis like, I want to take credit for that. Yeah. My favorite costume I've ever put him in. And cutting those eyebrows to, like, make the white, amazing. You must not have to have to have done a lot of work for him. No, because he's he's already, already shaves his head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you have a costume last year, Mira? I don't remember. We had a few. You had, you had ones on the show. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. we did that. I did guess you do, like, four weeks of Halloween? We did. We did, like, a whole month of Halloween. And it sucks because this time... Our season break is during October, so I, we don't I even know. get. That's a bummer. Hocus Pocus. That's what it, we did. That, but I'm trying to think of like I actually dressed up on For Halloween. Halloween. I did feel you like, do something at the office because you had a little Halloween party here. I feel like yeah, I was wasn't. Like, what day maybe was I was out of town or something. I feel like I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember like specifically. I know it's weird. almost Halloween again. Yeah. I know. Uh, I the year like before that, I was uh, Dustin from Stranger Things. <gasps> oh. That was a good oh, one. Oh, he's my favorite. That's right. He's so that. cute. Yes. Uh, mine would be Merida. 
That's oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. we did a bunch for Always Open, but then I used the green dress and red wig from Hocus Pocus. I love Hocus Pocus. Um, for Merida, and it yeah. actually worked, it worked out really out well. well. I was uh, sad Keanu. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh. oh yeah, you did just oh, post that. Right. I just posted that today. Perfect. Just because I thought it was funny with all the John Wick things that are coming out. Yep. I love Keanu. That, that's perfect. What was yours? Did you see Rosie? Oh, Rosie River. Right, right, right. We can do it. What was yours, Barbara? Meredith. <laughs> Sometimes, listen, posting is hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. Uh, is there such a thing as objective beauty? Mm. No. As in like a standard? As a universal beauty? Objective. Objective. Beauty. Like I don't you think could so. like objectively look at someone and tell that they're beautiful. Or like everyone would think this person is beautiful. That's what I mean. So well, like a universal symmetry. beauty. Symmetry. symmetry. But, yeah, that's actually a pretty good call. But I don't think I still don't think that because we're like is that societally put I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there actually is objective beauty. His name is Chris Evans, so <laughs> We have found it. I'd say that, like, if you could identify certain people within media, just like oh, everyone would think this person. Idris Elba is pretty good one as yeah, well. Yeah, Idris Elba. Yes, Idris agreed. Elba. I would say Maggie Smith in the middle for that. <laughs> I love Dame Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. I love Maggie Margot Smith. Margot Robbie. <laughs> yeah, no, Maggie Smith before yes. Margot Robbie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that uh, girl. Oh, what's her name? Emily Rajkova. Ra who? I don't know who that is. She, she was in. Reddit. Radajovsky. Yeah, she Radijowski. was um, in the Blurred Lines Gong, music video Gong and Girl. Gone Girl. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wait, who was she in Gone Girl? She's the one who took her titties out. She was <laughs> cheating on. Uh, <laughs> she is Ta -da. Ben Affleck's character's side piece. Side piece. That he yes. hides yeah. while the investigation's going on because gotcha. it would look bad if he had. Uh, who's who's the big heartthrob right now? Is uh, the kid from To All the Boys I've Loved Before? Oh, well, I don't know that. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. Great. Oh, I did see yeah. the trailer though, and he is. It's great. Oh, He's really handsome. He was in the show called The Fosters. He looks a oh, lot like my I watched that. Yeah, the okay. is great. He looks a lot like my brother though when my brother was younger. So it was oh, a little out. creepy. Yeah. yeah. There's no such thing as objective beauty. That's the answer. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh yeah. I think ultimately no. No. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for playing, guys. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. Is that it? Yeah. We went through so so quickly. Pure, so pure, so pure. quickly. We got a lot of questions to get to. That's true. It's true. We we got about 200 different questions from people. So yeah. we we tried we to do pick all 200 right. We're we doing a lightning round. <laughs> we we tried to pick questions. That's always good with therapy. <laughs> Just get through fast. No. Yes. You know? Maybe. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Your mom. Mom's a problem. Dad's a problem. Mom. You're the problem. Mom. You're the problem. Mom. Uh, so we tried to pick <laughs> questions that we saw like as a, a common thread throughout a, f a couple, so that we could try to answer as many as we could with just a few questions in mind. Gotcha. Because if we Perfect. sat here answering 200 questions, we wouldn't be able to get through them all, unfortunately. But thank you to everyone who submitted. We know it's a hard thing to do to submit something like that. We appreciate you. Um, but before we get to those questions, we have a, a little question that we wanted to ask you guys to get things started which is from Spencer B. And Spencer B wants to know, what would be in your panic attack emergency bag if you had one, and why? Mm. First of all, have you guys ever had a panic attack? Oh, 100%. Yeah. No. You haven't? You have? Mm -hmm. And you have? Oh, always. I, I had a panic attack right I now. I had a minor one, one time. And I remember it felt like I was dying and drowning. Mm-hmm. That's usually what people say at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. Like, you couldn't move and like you felt like my, your heart is racing mm -hmm. and that you can't focus on anything in particular and like you can't talk to anybody it's just like yeah. insane so i don't really know what's in like a panic attack bag because honestly i don't know of any items 
that are going to stop you from having the panic attack. There's things like essential oils. You. I guess at the best. What did you say, Texas? Xanax. Xanax. <laughs> That's the same. Other than actual medication right. or something like that, and like you know, people say like breathe it into a bag. Although I've never. There's like things no. that might comfort you. Like for me, uh, uh, like I like mint tea a lot. Mm -hmm. like a mint tea might be. Even in there. the smell of mint, mm -hmm. like peppermints, eucalyptus, and stuff are like. Technically, as a therapist, it's like grounding things. They yeah. can like bring you back because panic attacks make you feel like you're like drowning, dying, gonna pass out, spacing out. You're not really connected to reality. So anything to like bring you back. Mm -hmm. What about um, anything that you could like, anything that's like tactile? It can, can help. Feel? I mean, Does if you help? can feel your panic attack coming on, that could help. That's what that's what comes to mind more is like things that when I can feel myself having a panic attack or even just anxiety, you know, to a certain degree, yeah. there's things that can calm me that way. But like in a panic attack, it's like, well, this shit's just got to pass. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. For me, I would put um, my comforter from home in the mm -hmm. bag because just like wrapping myself up in that comforter makes me feel like, okay, I'm just in my own bed, yeah, safe. smelling my own house and everything. And just like, smelling it's so nice and smells. smelling my own smell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just fluffy and Why is that comforting? comforting? It totally is, know. but it, I don't know why. I'd also Your own Trevor scent is comforting? Trevor. Yeah, that's why kids like baby blankets. They don't want their parents to go wash them because oh. they're like, it smells like me. Oh. It's comforting. Yeah. Uh, I got a, I got a, um, a stuffed um, bunny that I've had since I was seven. Yeah. Almost 20 years now, 19 years I've had it. Mm -hmm. I still sleep with it every night. His name mm -hmm. is Roger. Oh. He's in great condition. I would stuff him in that fucking bag. Yeah, perfect. Get in there, Roger. The stuffed animal becomes the stuffed I think Ooh, yeah. animal. <laughs> it's like Inception of stuffed animals. Yeah. There you go. I think I would, the only thing I could throw into a bag would be someone big enough to spoon me. Because that's what that would that's what would calm me, down, calm is, me down is being little spoon, which is not a very common thing. Yeah, like a right, it's tall. Does she ever little? She spoon? doesn't fucking big spoon me ever. Why? I don't know. She should. Well, I don't know you like that. Yeah, I should. I should. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe she just doesn't know you like. No, I know. I know. Just you call should, it jetpacking. Jetpacking. Mm -hmm. Why is it gotta be jetpacking? Well, yeah, she's like super tall. She's she's taller know. than me. Oh, okay. yeah, that that's true. Then I guess then it's not jetpack. It's just big spoon. Yeah. You like jetpack. I jetpack Trevor every now and then. And then I go, <laughs> fart on him. <laughs> you fart on that. You yourself, up. man, we had some sticky farts this morning. Oh, What's a sticky that. fart? Stinky. Oh, okay. I thought you said sticky. I was like, That's that what I heard, messy. too, and I didn't know hey, what that was. And you fart, and it goes, <laughs> I had some, I had some <laughs> sticky farts last week. Oh, yeah, you I wasn't did. on the show. She had food poisoning. Oh, God, that's stuff. the worst. It was so bad. So what else would be in our bags? Um, but, I mean, like, I'm just thinking of things that comfort me in general, not necessarily that would help in a panic attack. Yeah. So, like, I'd put, like, a Disney movie in there. Mm -hmm. I'd put the whole cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yes. I want Rosa. I'll take, I'll take Rosa. Yeah. I don't think it's any, like, it's funny because it's not actual tangible things that really help. Yeah. It's like you put your head below your heart and that soothes your system. So, like, like putting oh. your head between your legs? Yep. You that would totally, maybe... like, calm your system down. Uh, it's a headphones. natural. Headphones with music. Mm. Ah, good idea. That's a yes. big thing that, because that, that also separates me from whatever outside, mm -hmm. you know, stimulus is happening. Yeah. And that gets me in that zone. Yeah. For sure. Even clapping your hands and focusing on like the feeling as it moves through oh, your wow. arms, brings you back. Stomping mm -hmm. your feet. See, these are real tips. Stomper over here. Yeah. I know. Stop. See. That's I was doing it from a very it. young age. <laughs> You're just comforting yourself. I was. Need to be grounded. <laughs> so doing self care. Do you find like um, going out of your house helps? Because yeah. I think that's like a well, not for panic attacks. I think for like uh, anxiety or even like depressing feelings, that I recognize that my house is a place where that just then starts uh, 
exponentially like growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, especially on the weekends, I recognize that when I spend too much time in the house, I get sad. So I get myself out of the house, I get sunlight on me, I go to coffee shops and I hear other noises and that kind of thing. I read books elsewhere. So, but, but I don't know about panic attack. Panic attacks, I feel like you, I mean, personally, when I experienced it, I didn't want to be around other people no. as much yeah. because like, I felt like I couldn't, yeah. like, I felt like I looked weird and I was acting weird and I didn't, if other people saw me doing that, it would just make me a little more, I don't know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I think that's normal because you, you don't you don't want to interact. You're like maxed out. Yeah. yeah, you're not even really present half the time. Your brain pulls a ripcord and you dissociate. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's too got, much. Got mint. Mm-hmm. Got some good tea. Couple. Stuffed animals. Yeah. Trying to think yeah. stuffed animals. Actors. Trevor. Yeah. Trevor's in that bag. Yeah. Trevor will help all of you through your panic. <laughs> Trevor's in my bag. Get out of there, Trevor. Yeah. He's very flexible. He just fold right in. Fold right. All right. Let's get to our first question. Okay. Um, This is from an anonymous male, and he writes, The issue of body dysmorphia in the fitness community is almost never talked about. In my personal case, I am 6 feet, 215 pounds, with 15% body fat. So purely looking at the numbers, I should be happy with the way I look. Yet I cannot stand my body to the point where I I wear sweatpants and sweatshirts to lift in 90 degree weather. I feel like body dysmorphia is a highly talked about subject in relation to individuals with eating disorders, but in general, it's thought that fit people cannot experience it. Why do you think this is? Because um, nobody talks about it, and mm-hmm. people don't understand. Because eating disorders and body dysmorphia are actually very different. And body dysmorphia doesn't actually have anything to do with food. Mm-hmm. It's just all about how you feel in your body. Do we want to explain what body dysmorphia is? Because like I didn't know what it was until recently. Until the question came through, yeah. yeah. So body dysmorphia is when you despise or are uncomfortable with, usually it's one or two parts of your body, but it can be like multiple. Very fixating. Yeah, so much so that it can take you like hours to leave the house because you're like fixing that last bit. Ugh. And they ha- can't really engage with people until things feel like right. It's almost closely paired with like OCD in a way where mm-hmm. like you can't tell someone else what it means for you to feel good or look good, but you know. Um, you'll always be pinpointing that one area yes. of yourself. And it can be so debilitating that it's like hard for you to engage with other people unless you're wearing the exact clothing that makes you feel comfortable or doing the exact thing. Like a lot of YouTubers have talked about like they can only film themselves and they want to be able to control the lighting and the angle of the camera because they know that's okay, but anything else is like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sense. anything with a mental illness, just remember, it always has to be debilitating in some way. It has to impair your level of functioning. Mm-hmm. But eating disorders are different. Yeah. It's like, you know, controlling food in a way to cope with a bigger thing. I know that you've talked openly about having body dysmorphia. Yeah, I deal, I, I've dealt with it to a, a less... Was that de- correct to you? The way yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I think uh, I deal with it in a less debilitating way uh, to, a, to a degree that is, is um, not as uh, impeding upon my social interactions, uh-huh. as in it's never like, I don't think my body dysmorphic you know, issues have ever impeded me from leaving my house. Um, but it stopped me from doing certain interactions like uh, 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 dating or uh-huh. uh, physical intimacy yep. or even just any display of my body that's not uh, behind clothes. Yeah. Um, so swimming or anything like yeah. that. Um, like uh, there's been a couple instances in the past where I have been put in a position where I need to show more of my body for uh, a production we're doing, whether a shirt off or even a tank top. We did a, yeah, a thing where we were... Scariest, pretending to be naked. Yeah, scariest things ever. It's it it mm-hmm. it like we're talking 
for days prior to that obsessing over just that happening yeah. and doing things at home that will clearly not have any effect on my outward appearance, but doing it just because I think I need to do it. Mm -hmm. It makes um, you feel calm. Yeah, there was this one time that we were gonna, we did a, uh, a, a short. The short was never released, it got axed, um, thankfully because I was so freaking out about it, but uh, well, that wasn't why I got axed, but I was thankful because I was freaking out about it. But I stripped down in the scene because I got drunk and I stripped down and everything like that, and so I was told I had to take my shirt off and everything like that, and even pants off, underwear stay on and everything like that. Yeah. And so, like even just the night before, I was doing everything I could to, to dehydrate myself and mm. and slim down as much as I could. I was taking, you know, uh, a, diuretics. A diure yeah, diuretics and that kind of thing, and and sitting in like a super scalding hot bath and and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's something that I obsessed over to an unhealthy degree. Yeah, I still went on the shoot, still did it, and still just uh, often how I deal with a lot of any mental. Uh, you know issues that I might have um, it, it's it's a, it's often in the end if I actually am able to follow through it's just because there's some sort of I just go fuck it and follow through with yeah. it but I'm internally screaming the entire time yeah. it is like it, and then afterwards it's like a whole shutdown like John shuts down after that and has to go recuperate because it was taking every ounce of his energy to even just uh, uh, to show up and do to that. show up yeah. and do it do you feel totally. like you get it again like once that production that was happening like gets released or it's about to get released and yeah. people are going to oh, see it. Oh, like watching that stuff like there's um like I focus my dysmorphia is very much focused on my midsection. I've had love handles my entire life and I've had a little pooch <coughs> on my stomach my entire life and it's it's varied in size and degree and everything like that. And even right now, I'm at like a pretty good body size and I've I I did really good over the summer with Fit for RTX and I even reduced body fat percentage, and I'm at a weight that's even below what you know I could be, and everything like that. Um, Sorry. And I've gotten compliments, and everything like that. But in the morning, when you look your best, usually, don't you wish like morning you was you all day long? It's like you and your slimmest because you've been like fasting. Oh, I mean, yeah, but I uh, would. Uh, otherwise, I look maybe not your face. <laughs> it was funny. Right after Meryl had food poisoning, we filmed something the next day, and we were like sitting at the camera, and she goes. Ooh, I look good. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> ooh, I so lost four pounds. <laughs> I, I've been shitting myself for 24 hours straight. I look great. But yeah, the morning is, I, I know it's when I feel the best. As like, far as like, as far as your fat. Yeah. Because your body is settled and, and you've been fasting and you've been dehydrating because you haven't been drinking during the night. Mm -hmm. And But even then in the morning when my body looks the best, I still can't help but focus on, even right now, my midsection. Yeah. I look at nothing but my love handles and I, I get upset about them still. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Does it have a lot to do with, um, like, a, this guy talks about being in the fitness community and being in good shape, and, like, he technically in society doesn't have a reason to have bad feelings about his body. Yet, mm -hmm. body. Um, but he does, and is that maybe a symptom of, like, someone who used to be out of shape and, like, having... Sure, it could be. It can be, but, but I think it's more about... Like body dysmorphia doesn't have doesn't care what size you were or are. Mm -hmm. I think it just is the way we feel about our person mm -hmm. as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in fitness, especially if you play a professional sport, if you're a jockey, if you're in any, if you're a ballerina, I think if you're doing something that's so focused on how you look, it can really like then you become hyper focused. Yeah, it is because you're being told <clears throat> to focus on it. Exactly. Kind of and to answer the bit there at the end, where it was saying like that, it's it's not something that fit people are considered to think that they should be able to feel yeah. that way. Um, I think that's a, that also is just a common blanket statement for mental 
issues for all the stuff that if you're pretty or if you have a good life yeah. or if you're successful or that kind of thing, you're not allowed to be, you know, have body dysmorphia, you're not allowed to have anxiety, you're not allowed to be depressed because yeah. your life is good, so stop it. Totally. And so I think that it completely applies to the fitness world that if you are someone who is fit or if someone who has, you know, g good looks to a certain degree that you're not allowed to have that. Um, well, maybe it's also you feel more scrutinized that way. Like yeah. people have, especially being on camera, um, there have been times when I've been wearing a certain item of clothing, a dress or a shirt that isn't the most flattering to my body or like maybe the seam is high so it makes it look like I got a bigger stomach. Mm -hmm. And when going through comments on YouTube or whatever and seeing even just one comment that's just like, is Barbara pregnant? Or, yeah. oh, Barbara's stomach looks bigger. Has yeah. she been drinking a lot of beer lately or something like that? And that yeah. gets to me because I'm yeah. just like, have I, do I, am I gaining weight? Do I look bad on camera? Right. Should I sit a different way? Yeah. Um, and so you feel almost like, because, like, I feel like I'm in good shape, mm -hmm. but I feel like if people see that, they feel mm -hmm. maybe that they could scrutinize more if yeah. you're on camera totally. or whatever it is. And I do like just to make a point that, like, mental illness doesn't care, like, what you look like, who you are, right. how fit, unfit, whatever, because it doesn't really matter. Mm -mm. If you're wealthy and super fit mm -hmm. and, like, beautiful from whatever standard, you could still be depressed, you could still have body dysmorphia, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. what you're talking about is the reason why I've made a lot of changes in how I, I interact with the internet, because I recognize yeah. mm -hmm. that I, I am triggered by certain things and that I, and certain things make me feel ways that I should not feel. So I don't read comments on any videos I'm in. That's a rule that I try to follow. I break it every once in a while and I am reminded why I should not do yeah. this. I even most recently got Twitter off my phone because Twitter was not making me happy and it was triggering a lot of depression issues I was having and it was making me feel a lot more anxious about things that were just fictitious. And so I got rid of that. And so it's, uh, you know, while I'm so happy to do the stuff we get to do here, I recognize what is my healthy, you yeah. know, actions that I should take. And I've been trying to apply those. Um, yeah, that's amazing because um, it can be hard to disconnect, but it can be also really devastating to how we feel. Yeah, a thousand positive comments and one person calling out the thing that you already scrutinized by yourself yeah. is that person has a megaphone, everyone else is on a whisper. Well, those are the ones you hear yeah. are the ones that you already believe to be true. Yeah. For however false yeah, they are. You just go, I knew it. Yep. I knew it. I knew it all along. I was saying it. <laughs> I already told myself yes. that a million times. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, he understands. Yeah. He gets it. <laughs> <laughs> Dick butt number 69. He gets it. <laughs> I love that name. He's my inner monologue. <laughs> Dick butt. Dick butt. Uh, all right. The second question uh, is, this is from Rose. And Rose asks, hi, I've been struggling with a minor self-diagnosed eating disorder since I was about 13. I'm 21 now, and I thought I had gotten better, but I seem to relapse every now and then again, but I don't know why. So my question is, do relapses have to have a trigger, or can it just happen for no reason? Everybody's different, mm -hmm. so it's hard to say. Like, I believe they always do have a trigger, but we might not be aware of what it is. Um, could be stress-induced, could be uh, also because it's like self-diagnosed, which I'm guessing means she hasn't gotten help, which mm -hmm. if you're out there and you're thinking that you you know, have an eating disorder of any kind, you should get help because the sooner we get help, the better. But, I mean, and low, I don't like to call them high grade, low grade, it's just eating disorders and eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But I think that definitely um, it doesn't have to have a trigger, mm -hmm. but most of the time it does, we're just not really aware. I know that's like a, such a therapist thing to say. I, I think like, it's almost like laws of physics that like there's a reaction that comes and so a trigger is going to yeah. be there even to a certain degree, even if it's just a change in your body's chemistry. Yeah. And that, that chemistry then can affect how your brain thinks and that maybe it's not an external trigger, but something could be triggering it 
and yeah, it doesn't come just from nowhere. It comes from something. So what are, I guess if you had to qualify them, what would you say are like the typical triggers for relapses of especially eating disorders? Stress. Stress. I mean, stress or any other, because they don't usually happen in vacuum, so eating disorders happen with like an anxiety component or depression component or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, if those things get exacerbated, then the symptoms will come back full force. And stress is like the number one. When my patients have been like, let's say recovered, they've been working on the recovery, doing really well, and then like a year later, they're applying to grad school or college, and they're like, shit, 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 I hope I get in. Boom, they'll have like the thoughts back. It doesn't mean they're gonna relapse, but the thoughts will come back. Is yeah, kind of like a change <coughs> in equilibrium. Exactly. Your equilibrium is often what can help you, you know, maintain healthy choices yeah. Yeah. and can, continuing healthy patterns of stuff. And when your equilibrium changes from an outside, you know, uh, you know variable, then you, yeah, that yeah. can totally happen. And eating disorders are coping skills. I think that's kind of important to recognize because that's why stress or changes make mm -hmm. it harder. And we have to have healthy ones to replace the negative one. And it's going to take like five healthy things before the negative one like right. kind of loses its oomph. I've also heard um, a lot of eating disorders could be related to people losing control in one sense of their life and just wanting control over something and usually that it's yourself. To, yeah, yourself and what you eat and like being able to just have very strict control over that. Totally, and I think it's kind of like a, and I always, like it's, that's not everybody's experience, but yes, a lot of people it is a control thing because imagine if you're growing up in a, like your family's so chaotic and your dad maybe is an alcoholic or um, your oldest brother is like always getting in fist fights with your dad or who knows, right? Like everything just feels completely out of control and you do your best to keep your own shit together that usually turns into something about yourself, which could be if you don't have any healthy, healthy coping skills in place, so you can't like talk to a friend or another family member or go for a walk, you're like, well, what do I do? Okay, I'm gonna control the way I eat or the way I look, or I'm gonna use drugs or alcohol to numb out, or I'm gonna self-injure, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have, um, this is maybe a more personal question, but a friend or someone in your life who has had experience with eating disorders? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my girlfriend. Right, right has an eating disorder that she attributes to. A lot of it comes from she spent a lot of time in the modeling industry, um, and that industry, no matter what, if you've ever seen my girlfriend, she is the, the pinnacle of beauty in my eyes, and just this tall, slim, slender, beautiful creature mm -hmm. that was told you're not skinny enough, um, uh, do, do not get abs, probably, right? yeah, um, all kinds of things like scrutiny that was given to her, and and she was surrounded by and uh, that was something that either was the reason why the eating disorder came or exacerbated something that was already there. And so she continues to deal with it. She, um, e you know, she eats a meal sometimes. She has to like take a nap afterwards because it took so much energy for her to eat. Mm -hmm. To stay she focused. She has, to re she has to recuperate and that kind of thing. So, it yeah. seems like mm -hmm. though, and I could be reading it wrong, but she, it seems from the, for the most part that she wants to get better and she wants to be eating and yeah. she wants to make an effort. Yeah, and that's why I, I feel fine talking about this because she's very vocal about it. Yeah. She, she, she talks about it online, she talks about it in her social media, she'll talk to anybody who wants to, to bring it up in a conversation um, because she's, she's, she, she's not someone who very much shies away from the stigma of like, we shouldn't talk about you know, any mm -hmm. uh, dis disorders we have or issues we have um, and that that's not something you should do. And so, yeah, she'll talk about that kind of thing, but. Which is awesome, because the more we keep them a secret, the bigger they grow, mm -hmm. you know? Or also, if people start feeling like this is something that's not common, and they have to not talk about it publicly and like keep it to themselves, because they're gonna feel like they're gonna be weird or, or outcast if they yeah. open up about some type of mental health issue or eating disorder. That's, that's and that's yeah. a, a big reason why I have been as open as, you know, I feel I should be about 
uh, anything that I deal with, including body dysmorphia or anything of like anxiety problems I have. And that's because I, I get messages back every single time of people saying, wow, I thought I was the only person doing this, or wow, that normalized this a whole lot more for me. And I'm like, well, if I can do it just to one person each time I post that, it's worth mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's you the know? great thing about the internet. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like also growing up in a, the age of Instagram, has also not been very helpful. I know for me, I've had to totally. unfollow, like, I used to follow Instagram models or people who are like fashion bloggers or whatever it mm -hmm. is because they post, of course, these beautiful edited photos of themselves on the beach or whatever it is, mm -hmm. working out. You're just like, why, like, how do they look like that? Mm -hmm. how, yeah. Why don't I look like that? And it's such well, a Well, they weird, don't, they edit. Yes, right. which you, you tend to forget about when you're just scrolling totally. through. Um, and I don't know if that could be a bad trigger for people as well. It can be. Social media in general. Probably, yeah. yeah, I mean, garbage in, garbage out. It, it made me feel certain ways because of what I read. So I can totally understand a, a, a visual trigger being the exact same thing. It, I, stuff like that triggers me in certain ways to, to, to encourage me to do certain things. Like that's why I follow certain fitness stuff or certain people because they encourage me to go and maintain my fitness schedule I've been doing, but that's because that's my story and that's my way, what I deal with. I can totally understand like if you saw, you know, some somebody who, you know, you you envy and you're like, oh, I'm, I need to go, you know, do my thing, either go vomit or just stop eating for a day or and that kind of thing. I can totally understand that. I think also what I struggle with is whenever I have a friend or someone I know struggling with an eating disorder or even just body image in general, I, I never know what to say and I feel like a lot of people falter to, oh, but you're perfect, you look oh, great. Yeah. Don't make any comments about their body, don't tell them they look good, they're gonna, yeah. their eating disorder is gonna take that information and turn it into like an insult, yeah. which isn't the person's fault for saying it, but like we're doing our best, you know? Is there something you'd recommend to say? In, in I think just checking in, being yeah. like, hey, I've noticed you're having a hard time, I'm here, um, and just being there. Like I think that's like by and large like what we need to do, is just be there because most of them feel really alone mm -hmm. and feel really, like I think, in, I think eating disorders and depression are like together always. So it comes with this part of like isolation, feeling like no one understands and the eating disorder behaviors are very isolating because you usually do them when no one's around because yeah. it can be really embarrassing, there's a lot of shame. So just checking in and being there is like so important. That's good advice. Well, speaking of support. <laughs> Perfect segue. I gave you that segue. You I gave did. you that segue. Meryl did. <laughs> Uh, this episode of Always Open is brought to you by Third Love. Third Love makes these bras. They are fantastic. I ordered three different kinds. They have stuff um, with no wires in them, so they're super comfortable. They have stuff with different types of straps, different colors, different fabrics. They got it all, and they also do half cup sizes, which are great. That's amazing. I am that exists. Cup. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm like between well, it didn't a C until and a D. Third love, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hey. I'm between a C and a D, so it's usually it's like C's are too small on me, D's are too big on me. So just get C. Know what I am? Yeah, C D. <laughs> You're about to. <laughs> Barbara. <laughs> uh, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind so that they fit impeccably and feel even better. They just added 24 new sizes, making them the industry leader with a total of 70 sizes. Third Love is super convenient. Find your fit in 60 seconds online, order and try it on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. Third Love has an awesome fit finder quiz. You can answer a few simple questions to find the perfect fit. It takes less than a minute, and Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. Find cups from A through H and bands up to 48. Woo, woo. Is H the highest? Yes. Yeah. 
But it's weird because triple A is the smallest. Yeah. So it goes triple A, double A, A, and then everything else. Like if you're like a double D, it's bigger. I didn't than even a know triple A yeah. was a thing. Yeah. I think. I think it's like training bra ish. Yeah. It's essentially yeah. Which why do they call that that training bra? Like it's in training. I don't know. <laughs> like what? I they're working out. <laughs> they're working. Like, they're working it out. To, training to have boobs. Or yeah. Something, right. right? Um, hands down, third love will be the most comfortable bra you'll own. Tagless straps, uh, tagless labels, straps that won't slip, and ultra soft smoothing fabrics. Third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com always now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com always for 15% off today. Thank you, third love. All right, third support. love. All Thanks right. for the support in um, many ways. In many ways. More ways than one. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to our next question. This one is submitted by Nina. And Nina writes, I struggle with actually opening up to my therapist. I feel comfortable with her and I think she's great. I just end up on tangents every time. I already have a hard time expressing how I feel about things to people who aren't part of the situation because I feel like they're missing important factors of it. I try to keep a list of things I want to talk about the next time I see her, but by the time that comes around, I'm never as passionate about the issue I wrote down since I'm no longer in that moment. And even if I bring it up, I tend to brush it off fairly quickly because I'm just too far out of the moment to even remember everything about it. Do you have any tips for how I could force myself to be more open in therapy and actually confront my issues with the resources available to me instead of just going on an hour-long rant about <laughs> politics to my therapist every other week? I love this question. This happens all the time. It's very common. I think most people show up to therapy and they're either like me, where I, f I call it like verbal diarrhea, where mm. you're like, these are all the things, and then you cry. Yep. And then you come out and you're like, that was nice, but I don't know what we talked about. Or you go in and you like forget your mind, like boop, goes blank. Um, bringing in a list of things is great and not being judgmental about it and feeling like it has to be like what's the most pertinent because the truth about being a therapist is we're like detectives. So we're like gathering information and like, oh, you were upset about this. Hmm, that seems awfully similar to when you're upset about that. How can we figure out what the root of it is? Because mm -hmm. usually everything that upsets us, even if it's not, we're not passionate about it right now, it still tells us something. You yeah. know what I mean? And so bringing in that list, and, and then also the second thing is like talking to your therapist about the fact that you are having trouble talking to her mm -hmm. or him. Because I think a lot of people don't know that that's what therapy's for too, because there's a reason that we're feeling like clumped yeah. and we can't say anything or we like, just go on tangents about politics, totally mm -hmm. normal. But also, like, when I read this question, I was like, mm, I don't know if, I mean, it sounds like they like their therapist, but I feel like a therapist should also be guiding you a little bit more, and you might need one yeah. who's a little more directive. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely more of a tough lover. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, you're changing the subject again. Yeah. And I, like, won't let you do that. How, how many sessions do you, or I, guess, I don't know if you could put a number on it necessarily, but, like, how long do you think someone should stick that through before being like, oh, maybe this isn't the right match. Have the conversation with them mm -hmm. and let them know you need more directiveness, like, or guiding, mm -hmm. I guess is the right word. And then give it like three more sessions before you call mm -hmm. it quits. Yeah. And I can't give like a full, like from beginning to end, but you right. have to have the conversation. That's the thing people always, we tend to do the same thing we do in life and therapy, which means like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I'll just leave. And you're like, no, this is the one place you can be like, I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. Please do something different. And I know that like, if you experience something, let's say you have an argument with your friend or something, and then you want to go talk to someone about it, but you're like, oh, they won't understand because they have to be in the moment. They have to yeah. be one of the two people in the conversation. Yeah. And I could see where she's coming from of just being like, well, like, 
trying to explain this all and trying to like really put that person in the situation is just gonna be hard. So like, never mind. I guess it's not worth talking about. It's always worth talking about. Yeah. And the cool thing about a therapist is we don't know all the stuff. We only know what you tell us, which can be really freeing because then you can get advice on your own situation versus another friend who will be like, well, you know, she is always like that, and like yeah. he can always kind of be a dick. But like, I you don't need that. You need like. Well, it sounds like when people talk about this, this is upsetting. And where do you think that comes from? Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't know the full situation of this person, so I wouldn't say that I'm passing any sort of specific judgment, but if I had to come to some conclusion, it would be that it sounds like they're avoiding, to a certain mm -hmm. extent, the issue. And so, so like, when someone says, like, how can I do this? It's like, well, you're the one that's actually stopping you. Is that It's that you're giving excuses as to why you're not doing this, so the way you can stop doing this is by letting yourself, by not letting yourself make these excuses anymore. The, the whole, like, you don't know the situation is a really good excuse to not talk about something when in reality, that often means that I think that you're trying, that all you want from your therapist or even just anybody you're having this conversation with is you want out of them what you already think you know you need to know. Yeah. As opposed to getting an outside perspective or as opposed to getting to, like, let's say, a professional's perspective on what's going on, which can happen without you giving you know the guidance of how they should be hearing the story mm -hmm. um, so regardless of that you should be talking about these issues with your therapist and you should be bringing it up even if you don't feel like you're in the moment or that they have all the information they the, need the fact that it hurt her or like was bothersome in that moment says yeah. enough and totally. I think maybe I don't know if it helps she says she mentions that she writes it all down and says that she wants to get to it whenever mm -hmm. she gets to therapy maybe if she puts a little note like you must talk about this. Remember how you felt. Or just felt. hand it to your therapist when you first walk into session. Oh, yeah. There you go. Or ask if you can email, knowing your therapist won't email you back. They shouldn't between sessions, just FYI, because that's too much contact. But mm -hmm. hand it, like email, hand it to them, whatever, and be like, bring this up in session. Yeah. Take it out of your hands. There's a thing, is too much contact? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's got to be separ separation, that. right? Yeah, what, yeah, what's too much contact? You, the, so this is outpatient therapy, meaning you go in for your one or twice a week sessions but your therapist isn't at your beck and call. And right. you shouldn't be trying to rely on the 24-7 because what that means is we need more care. Right. Hmm. It means that outpatient therapy is not enough for you. And there's no problem with getting more care, but just, just like so you understand boundaries and parameters okay. around therapy because the whole goal of therapy is that you don't need it anymore. Right. So if you can't go a whole week before trying to reach out to me to let me know something else, then that means that we may need to increase our sessions or we need more care. Yeah. And we shouldn't waste any time before we do that because that, that's like the sign. And if your therapist is always like allowing you to email, text or whatever and contacting you back, I think that's a breach of boundaries and it like creates this unhealthy relationship where you're like dependent Dependency, on them. Because yeah. mm -hmm. you should, it's like fly little bird, you should like try. Right. And if you come back, you're like, wow, that was really shitty and yeah. I hated that and I did terrible. I imagine it could that's also be like very relieving knowing like, let's say every Sunday you have your sessions. Yeah. Like knowing like Sunday's almost here, I could talk about this with them totally. and like, get it off my chest, and then like survive another week. Yep. And then I know that that is gonna be there every Sunday until I start to feel better. Exactly. Rather than just like always having them. Yeah, cause it's almost like then you just expect like immediate gratification versus like, no, we talked about those tools, mm -hmm. try the things we talked about and see if those help first. Yeah. And it like kind of forces you to try that. And so if a therapist is like encouraging you to do that, I would encourage you to, to like find somebody else. Cause I think that's just unhealthy. Because I don't want anybody to have to be in therapy forever. Yeah. Right. The goal is safe, self-sustainability. Exactly. And yeah. if you're not given the chance and the opportunity to use the tools, then why are you even learning them? Do you think it's healthy for someone who may not think that they need therapy to want to try it out just to see if it... Totally. 
betters their life. Always, every, 100%. Yeah. I know, that, have you been? Oh, I go to therapy and then I stop going all the time. <laughs> it's really fun. Why is that? Um, I, well, like the last time I started going, I think it was kind of very similar to where I didn't feel like I was being honest and so I wasn't getting anything out of it. Yeah. And so it felt like a, it, it like the first like few times was like, okay, this is good. And then I was just kind of like, well, I just feel like I'm showing up and then just kind of being like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's not the, as bad as I thought it would be. And then Nothing leaving else. and being like, well, that kind of felt like a waste of time. Yeah. So now I am on a journey to find a therapist that I actually like connect mesh with, with and like yeah. want to see. And not that the person I had before, not like nothing wrong with, with well, her. Well, no therapist is one size fit all. I'm right. Totally. Either. And it's most important that you feel connected to them and you like the relationship because by and large research shows that that's the most important thing, regardless of like what type of therapy they yeah. give or if, you know, if we like their office or if it's close, that stuff doesn't matter. It's like, do we feel like we connect with them and they're on our side and they're working with us and we just like them. Like right. that, you know when you meet people, you're like, I don't really know much about them, but I like them. You yeah. should have that feeling. Yeah. Feel like you could talk to them. Totally. Be honest with them. Yeah. So what would be our advice to Nina of just how to open up more? I would right, challenge right her to same. talk to her therapist about it and to bring in the list either through email or giving it to her therapist and then see, because if the therapist still isn't like pushing her towards her goals and like helping her, like challenging her to talk about the hard things little by little, she might want to see somebody else. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. That's good advice. Uh, well, good, good luck, Nina. I said good luck, Nina. Good Nina. Good, good luck. luck. It does Lena. get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, next question is from Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And this is a, actually a question we get a lot of the time. So I'm happy we're addressing it. What advice would you give to a partner of someone who has a mental illness, other than communication? Because I think that... And communication is number one. It's of course number one, yeah. But I'd like to put it to number two, and number one is learn about their illness. Mm. What is it? And what? let them teach you, and then also pick up a book about it. I know that sounds really silly, but like a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm in a relationship with someone with borderline personality disorder, and it drives me crazy, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, enough about you. Like, what do you know about their illness? Like, what is it? How does it manifest itself with them? Because then that gives us like a whole set of information that we can figure out how to work with. Yeah. Um, and then letting them teach you what it feels like for them is really important. And they should be able to do that. If they can't, that kind of limits like how your relationship is going to go anyway. Because yeah. they should be able to communicate their issues. Otherwise, that's not a relationship, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say also, um, and I don't know if this is the right advice or not because I'm not an expert, but don't try to fix yeah. their problems. Yeah, 100%. Um, mm -hmm. Like I've, I've had significant others and friends in the past who've dealt with different types of mental illness and like sometimes they just want someone to just vent to totally. and just like complain to you or like just talk to you and like once that's through like because I'm not always good at giving advice or like trying to solve the problem and they're just like no that's good I just want someone to tell this to just listen I just want to yeah. get this out they want to um, feel heard and yeah and you don't have to have the answers I think a lot of people just want like most the most often I hear from my viewers is if they struggle with depression or let's say they've been struggling with grief, which is like a, you know, a, a form of depression. But when you lose someone and they'll be, their friends will be like, I don't even know what to say. And like, so they'll stay away. Yeah. And they're like, actually, all I really want is for people just like to order food in, come over and like watch Netflix with me for like three hours. I still yeah. want to be alone. Yeah. And I think that like speaks to volumes for other things because it's we don't want anybody to fix anything because we're not supposed to have the answers. They or should like see a professional. Try to stay away because they think that you are sad or Yeah. The thing that's the thing we don't need. We actually need people to like not force us to engage, but just like be there. I'm here if you need. Mm -hmm. And checking in is important too. If you don't live close and you can't come over, like just texting and being like, hey thinking of you. 
I'm and just here. FaceTime them randomly. Right, just <laughs> randomly whenever you feel like it, FaceTime, yeah. totally. I think also something that's important if you if you are an SO to someone else with a mental illness is that you also have your own uh, self-care that you mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. put in place totally. and a support system for yourself. Yep. Because while you want to be a part of the support system for your significant other and you want to you know be there for them, you then also need to be able to replenish yourself or else the whole thing will break down as well because totally. then you won't be for there for them and no one will be there for you and it's just all going to be chaos. So. Like, obviously there's a balance of selfishness in self-care sure. um, that one should find. Um, but, you know, you should have your own support system that you then can also rely upon. Even just that open communication, especially if it's your SO, just saying like, hey, I know like you're going through this, but I also want you to just keep in mind like, it's also difficult for me. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Not trying to blame them or put anything no, like that on them. but it should be a conversation. But just so they're aware that like, you are there for them and trying to help them. And in that process, you also have to look out for yourself and your well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think especially in any type of situation where there's a lot of negativity involved, mm -hmm. both people could get pulled down by that. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I did have an SO that had this kind of situation and they almost manipulated the situation to the point where they would have their mental issue and would need me to help with that, but then didn't give me the opportunity or let's say the resources to maintain my own support system. Mm -hmm. So therefore I was just drained and taxed without ever getting my own replenishment, which then made me not a very good help to them. Totally. And so it was, it was, it was a, it was just this circle of, you know, you got, I just got fucked, you yeah. know? And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that, there's definitely like, you need to have a level of um, even separation that you can, you can healthy in a healthy way, you know, implement with the beer significant other. Yeah. yeah, totally. I imagine it's also common to feel if you do have a, a so that, especially with depression, if you feel like you can't make them feel better, that you're failing them yeah. as a partner. And that could be a really hard feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so what would be your advice for, especially like with depression or anxiety, of someone trying to handle that and not force anything on someone? Yeah, I think like kind of going like own self-care and your own therapy is important. Mm -hmm. And then encouraging them to get into therapy too. So if they're not getting help, do everything you can to encourage them to do so because Otherwise, it's just so hard. Like then they might only get worse, and then you'll feel even more helpless and hopeless. Um, and you don't want to get pulled down with them, and so you have to have them implementing their own tools. And I'd even argue it should be like a non-negotiable part of the relationship. Really, like for therapy. I, there's no like, there's no like end goal to the situation, but there should be goals in place mm -hmm. of everyone moving in a positive direction. And I think that's just something generally in life that we should be implementing with ourselves. But with Someone, dating someone who has you know, depression or anxiety or something like that, there's obviously not going to be an end goal of what their situation is, but it should be like, are they in therapy? Okay, the goal should be getting into therapy. Yeah. It's like, how's your therapy going? Is it yeah. going well? Let's, let's work on what's therapy. Like, all these things, there should be forward motion being shown, at least the, the hope of forward motion. Totally, because like if they can't get into therapy right away, like even workbooks or like trying out a therapist or you know, starting the process, like, because I think... If, if it's debilitating enough that it's affecting your relationship, mm -hmm. then in order for your relationship to grow and thrive, there needs to be effort on both parts. On top of that, too, were you about to... I don't know, I just agree. Um, we get this question a lot, and I, I never know the right way to go about it, is if you're in a relationship, let's say for years, let's say three, or, three to five years or something, and you're with someone who has always experienced some type of mental illness or depression, and they aren't trying to help themselves, you've tried for a long time to... Mm -hmm. encourage them and support them and they're, they're just not getting better, there's often this guilt associated with 
feeling like you want to end them. their relationship mm -hmm. and leave their relationship. And that's something like I never know the proper way to go about answering or to give advice on because. Well, and it's, it's dependent on the person, right? Yeah. But like in every relationship, we need to both, like I like to think of relationships as like bank accounts mm -hmm. because you both have to be making deposits in order to be making withdrawals. And that can go for any kind of issue. It doesn't just have to be mental illness based. Like if it's communication, if it's support, if it's uh, compromise, whatever it is, you all have to be making the same. And it's not like you're keeping track. Don't do that. But yeah. just like you should be feeling like, oh, well, I'm fine going to this movie even though I don't really like it. Because last time, you know, I remember we went to that theater and he hates the theater or like whatever, right? right? You should be able to like recall easily situations where they compromised and then you're fine compromising. So that it's like a give and take. It's like we're making deposits and we're making withdrawals. Mm -hmm. If you're the only one making deposits and they're only making withdrawals, that's going to lead to this disaster. It's resentment in the making. Yeah. And so the thing that I would encourage people to do if you're in that situation, it's like three, five years. I don't believe in like ultimatums, but in your head you have to say to yourself, is this a relationship I want forever? Right. Am I happy where I'm at? Because in a relationship we can go through rough periods, but most of the time you should be able to say, am I happy where I'm at? And you'd be like, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Don't lie to yourself. Be honest. Are you happy mm -hmm. where you're at? And then if you're not and it's not getting better, I would get out. And it's not, oh, I'm leaving you because you're mental illness. It's I'm leaving you because you're, you're not in this relationship with me. Right. You're in a relationship with yourself. Yeah. So I find it's a lot easier just to stick it through and do it for another like six years. <laughs> and then go That's through, my method too. Go John. through a messy divorce that goes into the court and drains all of your savings account. Oh, yeah. The whole entire time I was thinking, well, compromising in my relationship got me food poisoning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She chose a restaurant that oh. I didn't want to go to. <laughs> but did she get food poisoning? She also got food poisoning. See, oh. so. So you it, both withdrew. It was a little bit both withdrawal. <laughs> you were both withdrawing. <laughs> withdrawing so every fluid often in your body. positing everywhere is what you were doing. Oh, oh you can see it both ways. <laughs> yeah. yep. Gross. Yep. Yep. Leaking from both ends. You were just positing all over the house. This is the worst. Ugh. All right, so uh, our last question for this uh, episode is from Sarah. And Sarah asks, do certain mental health issues, such as anxiety and depression, last forever or can they be cured? I don't like the word cured. Me neither. Because that, that like, that'd be like, oh, like I have a head cold. Am I going to be cured? Well, I'll get better, but I can get one again. Mm -hmm. Like, that sucks. But it's true. And, like, I think depression and anxiety kind of come in the same. Like, you can arm yourself with tools so that when those, like, little inkling suspicions of anxiety or depression start to come back, you're like, oh, I know you. You're in a different dress, but you are the same lady. <laughs> and you're like, you just have a fake mustache exactly. on this time. <laughs> you're wearing a hat. Yeah. And so you know it and you can sense it and then you can implement the tools and it will stay for a, like a less amount of time and it'll be less debilitating. So we can get so smart and so well equipped that it, it can come back, but like not really. Yeah. And so I do believe we can get to that point. And medication, even though I know not everybody's into medication, which is totally fine, but it can lessen the symptoms so much so that you might not even get that inkling. Is there always the worry of dependency though on medication? Like people feel like they need it to be I don't want to say normal, but maybe normal. some people might, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Like it exists for a reason. Yeah. And I have a lot of patients who go on it for like a year and come off, and then I have a lot of patients who've been on it for years and years. If you don't have bad side effects and it helps you make your life happen, go for it. And you're not Medis overdosing on anything. No, no. Don't if, do that. Talk to your doctor. You're totally fine. But I think that if we don't treat things, if we don't get help, if we don't try medication, if that's a part of like our treatment plan, then yes, it will get worse. Yes, it will come back with vengeance. It may peak and wane just because seasonally a lot of people feel worse. Like, you know, winters are 
particularly terrible for a lot of people, but yeah. summers can also be. People have like reverse seasonal affective disorder. Um, so th that can happen too, but please get treatment because it does get better. And I believe you can be like quote unquote cured, but it's more just like, I'm smarter than that. Mm -hmm. And I know how to deal just with knowing it. how to deal with it when it comes out. I you. know what it feels like for me and I can make it better. Cause that's always something I've wondered as well. Like if someone deals with anxiety or depression and let's say they, they get help and they feel better, is that something that always is lingering inside them that like just could be triggered by something and just pop it, out? It could be triggered, but again, it's like if we have the tools to cope, yeah. then it, it's like, oh, today's just my sad day and that's okay, and then tomorrow I'll get up and I'll be okay. Yeah, there's no yeah I think you're comparing it to like the cold is the best way to put it. I mean, there's no like inoculation from not getting sick of anything ever, Yeah. you know? And so even though we recuperate from certain things or, or maybe we strengthen our bodies in a way that we're not as susceptible to certain ailments, mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can't not get sick again. So yeah, that should be the goal is to, to, to bolster yourself up to be able to deal with it in a much better way and to function in a, in a much healthier way. But you know, mistakes are gonna happen and, and, yeah. and stuff's gonna like see, keep coming back. First time you get a cold, you feel awful, you don't know how to deal with it. And then the second time you know that like, oh, if I drink this tea and- And sleep more. Sleep more and do this and that, I'll feel better or like it'll comfort me more. So yeah, just knowing. Totally. To totally. Yeah, and I think it's like, instead of thinking like I need to cure it or I need to make it go away, it's more like, how can I better manage this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're good to go. I've also noticed that there are sometimes people who feel more and more comfortable just talking about it too. And I think yeah. at first a lot of people feel maybe um, embarrassed or ashamed to discuss it. And then like the more they deal with it and meet people who also experience it or go to therapy or whatever it is, they feel like, all right, I could be open about this yeah. and not be ashamed of myself. And that helps. I think being able to talk about it helps also because like we talked about earlier, like the more things stay hidden, the bigger they get. Yeah. And I think the more comfortable in general, it's like anything in life, if we share that one thing we're really embarrassed about ourselves or like, oh uh, yeah, my dad did this and he's such a jerk or whatever, the less big it feels because people be like, oh yeah, me too. And like we get that like reciprocation because mm -hmm. we're not in it alone. I think the more we share and the more we talk about it in general, friends or with a professional, I think the better you'll feel in general. Yeah. I always liked how Carrie Fisher dealt with it. She's a very vocal person yeah. about her her mental issues and just talked about how it was never something that went away, but it was something that you learned to deal with better and better and better and, and it was just with you at always, but you, you know, doesn't mean that that stopped her from living the full life that she lived. No, she was a huge yeah. advocate. It was mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And finding I guess those people too within social media or YouTube mm -hmm. or whatever it is that talk about these things openly. My community. Yeah. What, do you want to plug your channel too oh, yeah. and, and um, all your stuff so people know where to find you? Yeah, my channel is Katie Morton, uh, just my name. Like think like the salt slash steakhouse. Um, <laughs> and I talk about all things mental health. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Yeah, so head head there if you want to watch some videos and be in the community as well um, that Katie has. It's a very great resource. Um, and finding other people online who talk about these things openly. Yeah. We try to talk about them openly as much as we can. I think a lot of people have commented on how like, we talk about having anxiety and depression every now and on, on the show. And I, I think people have that idea that, oh, these people who live these lives are experiencing yeah, we have it together. this, yeah. that we have it together, that we're like, you know, totally fine because I don't we even have it together. Are comfortable on <laughs> just, camera. Yeah. Just like, that's not the case. And you'd yeah. be surprised how many people experience it every single day. Well, it was interesting. We had a few episodes ago, we had one of the questions was like, how do you cope with being anxious? And like, yeah. how, you know, what, what tools are you, you know, mm -hmm. everyone kind of went around and I was just like, I don't, I don't cope with it. I was really struggling right now. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so many people were like, wow, 
I, oh, okay. You do that too? A fair answer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, totally, and it's funny, um, like funny enough, I have a friend who will remain unnamed because I don't know if she talks about this openly, um, but she was like, I always thought she didn't like me. Like she wasn't very friendly at the beginning and really quiet. And she's like, no, I was just having panic attacks. Yeah. She's like, just, just don't know how to deal. So I was just having panic attacks yeah. while I was sitting over so there. So just shut off? Mm-hmm. And it's, people don't realize that we're all human. We all struggle from time to time. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the more we're honest and open, I think the better everybody will feel. I, I wish I could talk about it more publicly to people, but I have anxiety whenever I'm meeting new people. Oh, so you're like, like, ooh. Like at a convention or like going to an event where I'm going to meet like people within the industry, like yeah. major anxiety of meeting new people. And so I feel like I could come off as like a bitch because I don't tend to like go out and be like, like, hi, I'm Barbara, like nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm just kind of like sitting with people I know, like, and if someone comes over, I'll be like, oh, hey, you're like, nice to meet <laughs> you. Hello, nice yeah. to meet Hello. you. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, some of us, even though we're in the public eye, we're not very good at talking. We're terrible. We're not very good at dealing with new <laughs> the people. The internet's different. We're yeah. good at talking to a camera. Yeah. Hey. hey. Totally. And that is it. Yeah. <laughs> this camera doesn't have eyes. It can't. It has one eye, Byron. It can't it's respond right back at, at you. me. Mm-hmm. Although there is a person right behind the camera, which doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks, Katie. Yay. For making the trip. Of course. Always Do happy to. have any last words for people... Um, and Just he, suck it up. Everyone stop being so whiny. God damn it. <laughs> Get out. That's like the Just only thing we had on this show. But yeah. Everything else. What's, what's with you losers? Be happy and stop whining. God. Hey. That's a title is quit being a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> No, just know no. that we love you. Things get and better. reach out. Reach things, out. Things can get better. There are people out there who care, who can help, and just, you know, find the person who fits for you. Yeah, and if you're with someone or there's people around you who don't care, find not the right people yep. to be surrounding yourself with. Maybe change your friends. Don't be you friends with that. John. That's my advice. <laughs> just kidding, you're a great friend. I'm a good friend. I'm a very good friend. You're a good friend. I'm a good friend. I'm a good friend. I do good friend things. I do good friend. <laughs> I do good friend. <laughs> Hey, seriously, thank you so much for coming back of on. Of course, thanks um, for having me. Thanks, Hoping baby. to get you on more often, maybe uh, next season. Yes. Yes. Should do at least one per season. Yeah, let's not wait another two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you guys all so much for watching. Um, if you have any questions for us on the show, you can email us, alwaysopenatreach.com. Check out Katie's YouTube channel and all of her stuff online. And also say hi to John and Meryl at some point. <laughs> eh, too. Don't worry. Don't bother. <laughs> I'll be somewhere crying. We love you. Um, and if you are a first member, come watch our post show. We love you. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.